You're listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you'll be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, All is Not Vanity, After All, recorded on July 7, 2019. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Hello, Harvest Community Church. How are yins today? You're fine. I can hear some fine in my ear. You could be right here in beautiful Catanning, Pennsylvania, where I am, where life is always great in Catanning, Pennsylvania, or you could be in beautiful Indiana or the lovely Petroleum Valley. You could be in Freeport, but you're not hearing this because you'll hear me live. But welcome to Harvest. If you're a first-time guest, my name is Mike. That was a lot to get out in an introduction. I want to add two parts to my introduction, though. One is, is where we have, I think, one Kid Fest to go up at Petroleum Valley. Uh, we have two down, and I want to thank all the workers, of course, and just tell you that some of you, um, you, you love doing that, and some of you love it, and then you run into drama, or some of you love it, and you run into tiredness, and no matter what it costs you, I just want to thank you for joining us in ministering to children and uh, bringing the gospel to them. And uh, setting aside time in your summer to do that. And for the folks who still have yet to do that up at PVC, um, uh, may God bless. <laughs> um, the second thing that I want to remind you, though, is with, P- with the Kids Fest coming, starting to come to an end, one to go, um, vacations. We're all trying to slip in our vacations, our times. Some of you go to camps. Some of you just lock yourself in your house, turn out the lights, and try to pretend like nobody... Right? So no one knows you're there. <laughs> and that's vacation for you. That's fine. And uh, others, you get in planes and you fly to other places. Um, as this is vacation season, just let me remind you the, the importance, especially because next week we're going to do, remember the Sabbath. Just, but I say this every year, but remind you the importance of gathering with the tribe of Christians wherever you go. So wherever you go, there's probably a church there. And these days, you can look online and check them out first. If you're leaving for the weekend, don't forget, Harvest meets on Friday nights in Catanning. It meets on Sunday night in Freeport. So if you're back on Sunday, you can still make it to church or if you, before you leave, if you leave Saturdays. Make sure that you are doing that for your own soul and, um, and also to encourage the people you may visit in other churches. And if you have children, as a good example of, the, of how you value God. And how God goes on vacation with you. And he enjoys uh, the beach with you. And, and he enjoys you with his people. Alright, let's jump into our text. Exodus chapter 20 verse 7. Um, this is one of the uh, commandments that very few adults ever say they never broke. Some do, but very few adults. <laughs> Here we go, Ready? Seven, you shall not take the Lord, the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. To say that in another way, the vain part, he's saying, do not treat the name of God as useless. That's the vanity there. Or inconsequential, worthless, or false. All right? Don't, don't use his name as if it has no value. It has no consequence, it's not important, or it's not true. To do so, look, there's a warning here. God will not hold you guiltless if you do this. I cannot think of a more tragic sentence to hear if you're a defendant in a courtroom than you have been found guilty. And God will say guilty if you break this commandment. Now, there's probably a lot of you who want to duck Right now. <laughs> you say, well, what do I do now? I'm already guilty. I know you are. But, but Christ died for the guilty to take it away. And um, if, if that's a new idea to you because you're visiting, stick around. It'll come back in this sermon and every sermon and everything we do. We always want to hold up that God loves us. Uh, Jesus made a way for us to be saved. But we don't want to take the pain out of the word of God. There's a seriousness if God will add, I will not hold you guiltless if you do this. And we don't, it's almost taking God's name in vain if we don't remember that he's giving us a warning at the same time. He's saying, don't do this. 
God's name apparently matters to him very much. Uh, that, that can be hard for us because words are something you can always get out of as, a, as a, an American, as a human, uh, unless it's validated by lawyers on a contract and signed. And even then, people get out of words. So it, it can be hard for us to think, what do words matter? How important can my words be? God uh, takes his name very seriously. Now, just before this, not just, but uh, just before this, sort of in the text, just a few chapters before, Moses is up on the mountain. This is before he went down into Egypt and freed the slaves and all that stuff. He was up on the mountain looking for sheep, because that's what God's favorite people do. They just wander around looking for sheep. If you want to be one of his favorites, just go looking for sheep. And so he's up on a mountain looking for a sheep, and he finds a burning bush, <laughs> and it doesn't, isn't consumed, and, and, and God meets with him and says, I want you to go down to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And uh, uh, the old man is uh, understandably intimidated. He, he doesn't think he talks well. He doesn't know how he's going to tell a Pharaoh to let all the people go. And, um, and his back hurts because doggone it, he's 80. Why do I got to go do that? Okay, I got to do it. You said it. So then he gets down to this, the authority, the authority position. Who do I tell him sent me? Interesting to think that the Jews had existed for 400 years uh, in some sort. And they didn't have a name for God. <laughs> um, I mean, they did, but they didn't. Or, he had never named himself to them. So let's jump into Exodus 3 and see that. It says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and, they, and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said, so by the way, notice that he's already answered the question twice. Say, I am who I am. If they ask, say, I am. Now he's going to answer it a third time another way. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord... The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generation. This is my name forever. What is the name of God that we're not to take in vain? God identifies himself there as the name of their family, right? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But that is not really his name. It's a title. And there are many names and titles of God in the Bible. But that's his title. He's identifying in a family way with you, with them. You know, your, your tribal chieftains, I was their God. Well, still, who are you? <laughs> well, he uses two names that are the same. One is, he says, I am who I am. Why this name, by the way? I don't have an answer to that, but I think it's worth your time to think on that question. I don't think you'll ever waste your time asking God, why did you say that? Um, I am who I am. I don't know why. Perhaps there's no single human name that is sufficient that he could have given us, you know? Right? <laughs> what if he had said Bill? We'd go, oh, okay. I mean, there's, it's God. You, there, I, I don't know why he doesn't. But instead he points to I am who I am. And then he uses the word that you see translated in your Bible as Lord normally in all capital letters. Right? This has behind it. If you see in your Bible the word Lord in all capital letters, it has behind it the Hebrew letters that we could transliterate into English as Y-H-W-H. Which doesn't sound like anything. It sounds like what? <laughs> you... <laughs> So normally, people add a couple of vowels and say, Yahweh, Yahweh. If you're a reggae, you like listening to reggae, they call God Yah or Jah. It comes from Yahweh. Um, there is a U2 song called Yahweh. So uh, Yahweh is really Y-H-W-H. And this is translated Lord. Um, by the way, Jehovah is also Yahweh. It's not a separate word. It's just some... The, just made it longer. Yah, and then they added more. But it's Yahweh. For our 
We have a lot in our fill-outs today, I know. This is a kind of an educational sermon. God has given over um, a thousand names, and, I, and that isn't really, after I wrote that, I thought, it's not really true. He's given like a thousand names and titles, if you count all the ways that God is described in the Old Testament, and Jesus and, and the Father and the Spirit are described in the New. You get like a thousand names and titles. Uh, people could argue with that. But the one that is before and above all is Yahweh. Yahweh. I am. Jehovah. It's in, so that's the one we need to think about the most. Yahweh is an expression of God. <laughs> he calls himself I am. Who calls themselves I am? Uh, his name is I am. So, because it's easiest to, to pull these suckers apart, these suckers I mean hard questions in my mind, um, I'm going to ask uh, the question and answer it four ways. Here's my question. What does God tell us about himself by telling us his name? What is God saying when he says, my name is I am? I am. I am. <laughs> That's his name. We have a song we sing called the great I am. And one of the, one of the brothers, I don't remember who, was, had brought, a, brought some, some students from another religion up from Pittsburgh, students, foreign students, and, uh, and pointed out that um, some religions allow you to think you're God. <laughs> so we, before you start praying that God is the great I am, you better tell them it's not you. Because um, it's not. I am. Four, there's more than this, by the way, but I'm going to give you four things he's telling us by saying his name is I am. It's an odd name. It's an odd name. You can say that out loud. God won't strike you dead. None of us call ourselves I am. It's a, it's a weird thing. One is he's telling us this. He's eternal and self-existent. God is always in the present. He's not I was. <laughs> he's, he's, he's right now. I am. God needed no maker. People say, well, who made God? Answer, no one. He always has existed. He is the forever existent God because he is. And because he always is, that necessarily gives him the future too. He is forever. So he's saying, I exist and I self-exist. No one had to make me. When he says I am, second... He's saying he's the origin of all things, the first cause. People always want to know, how did everything get here? And no one was there to see it except God. Well, the answer is, since he is and self-existent, he's therefore before all things, he is therefore the cause of all things. Nothing came into being that he did not intend or cause. He had to make it go. Right? If you see a marble rolling across the floor, someone had to push it. Something had to make it go. Well, the whole marble of the earth was pushed by God. He is the origin of everything. He is the first cause. He has chosen all that is, all that was, and all that will ever be. You don't live in a world of accidents. You live in a world and universe caused by God. Third, because he is I am, he is greater than all things. All things depend on him. He's not like other gods that these people were used to. He's not like Ra, the sun god. He's not like the frog god. He's not like the flea god or whatever all those gods that Scott was telling us about a few sermons ago. You know, if you ever listen to the stories of, of, of Norse gods, those are my favorite fake gods or the Norse gods. Um, they're easier to understand than the Greek gods and the Roman gods. Those are weirdos, but... The Norse gods, it's pretty simple. They just want to kill people, romance, and drink mead. I mean, that's a manly kind of god, I think. But they all have these issues. They have needs. They have... God is greater than all things, since all things depend on him. He's dependent on no one. He has no needs. He doesn't need mead. He doesn't need romantic relationships. He doesn't need people to serve him. He doesn't need Perseus to go on a quest. He doesn't, 
All things exist as long as God desires them to exist because they depend on him for the existence. Everything from, from a stool in your house that you put your feet up on to you, to the sun. Everything exists dependent on him. The interesting thing, this is not, I can't give you any direct correlation, but something I like to think about is the smaller we are able to see things or guess at things that make up all things that used to be just cells and then molecules and then what's inside a molecule, we've gotten to this point where no matter how small it gets, it gets more complex. So the smallest things are much more complex, but no one can figure out exactly what's holding everything together or what everything's made of. They just make stuff up, quantum physics and quarks and whatnot. We ain't sure. I think if we ever get to the middle of what's holding everything together, it'll like blow up. It's God. God. Everything depends on him. Nothing exists unless he supplies its sustenance. No one can figure out what gravity is. Whatever it is, God caused it. There's nothing in your world that God is not behind. All things depend on him. And finally, in, in the words I am, as the self-existent forever God, he may do as he pleases. And all that he does is good. Meaning, since he's the God before all things, you can't reproach him. You can't say, no, that ain't right. How do you know? He's God. Before all things. Goodness is what he says is good. He does as he chooses. No one is able to thwart the plans of God, stop God. You know what? People still today, foolishly in the West, think that the church is dying. The church of Jesus Christ is not dying. Last weekend, or la- there was like three million people at a Jesus festival in Brazil. And the president of Brazil showed up too. Now sure, Western society is trying to kill God with our riches and our philosophies, but you're not going to kill God. (laughs) There are more Christians alive now than ever before. Most of them are kind of yellow colored. You You ain't stopping God. He's unthwartable. You cannot control him. He can do anything he wants, and he does do anything he wants. And, but everything he does is good. He's not, he's, not, uh, he's not the destroyer. He's the builder. He's the maker. And so he defines all things. What's beautiful? Whatever God says is beautiful. God made beauty. God made strength. God made honor. God made truth. God made holiness. God made love. God, God, therefore, is the only one who can judge. No one can judge God. And you got these new atheists, which is old atheism without good philosophy, mostly. It's very lower-level intellect. I'm not insulting their intelligence. They could be more intelligent than me. But if you just read any philosophy on the existence of God, these guys like Hawking and what's that, Sam Harris, they, they, they don't even go up to answer what smart people have already said. So it's really old atheism. But they like to say this. Well, if there is a God, he must be evil because there's evil in the world and I wouldn't serve him. Dangerous. Don't stand next to those guys in a lightning storm. You cannot judge God. Just think it through in your own mind. If he is I am, if he is preexistent, if all things come from him, How can you judge what he's doing is wrong? How how can you? (laughs) If you draw a picture of a man and he's doing something, he's not going to, the picture say, hey, that ain't the way you're supposed to do this. I'll just erase your head. Now what do you think? You know, (laughs) I'm the artist. And it turns out that he is good. The standard of, since he defines all things, no one may dispute him. Today, people demand the right to be free from their own nature. This idea that a man can say he's a woman and then run in a female track meet 
and then all the men and women who don't call themselves the other gender cheer that on, that's collectively people saying, ultimately, we can rebel against not only God, not only nature, we can rebel against ourselves. We're not even what we are. Well, they're wrong. (laughs) You're wrong, too. If you think you can define yourself, you can't. God made you. He defines you. Best to figure out what he says you are and go that way. People want to outlaw doctrines of God that they don't like. Christians want to get rid of hell. They want to get rid of salvation by Christ alone. These are horrible doctrines. Who are you to say that to God? Don't you remember, Job? The whole lesson, Job is a marvelous book, and as we read through the Bible, we haven't got to it yet, I don't think, have we? No. And so when you get through Job, notice that Job goes through a lot of suffering, and he was a good guy. And he asked God about why, and do you know the answer he gets by the end? I'm not telling you! That's the answer he gets. But what he learned was he got to see what God was like. Instead of the answer, why is it okay that I, why is it just that I suffer? That was his question. God said, I'm not going to tell you that, but I'll let you see me, which is better. Were you there when I was inventing crocodiles? <laughs> no? I saw a video today. It was awesome. This guy, uh, I think they're in Australia, so I don't know where. He's catching a fish, and his, his buddy is saying, pull back, pull back. And this fish is huge. It's coming. And then this line comes in the water behind the fish, and the, his buddy says, run, run, back up, back up, run. And this huge alligator is coming after the fish. Fish is this big. I'm not kidding you. And, and the alligator eats the fish. <laughs> the guy still got it on the line. The alligator's on the land eating the fish. And once they realize the alligator's not going to eat them, they're so mad because they lost the fish. And God's saying to Job, do you make a fish? I made fish. You think you can make an alligator? Why don't you make an alligator? Think you can make the sun come up and down? I did that. By the time he gets done schooling... The only thing schooling Job, the only thing Job can say of his suffering is, I set my mind on things I can't understand, and I challenged God. I need to just shut my mouth. His name is Yahweh. He is. So if he says it's good, it's good. The maker of the universe will always do right. Whether your little mind can figure out why hell exists doesn't mean it's not good that it exists. If he is, then trust him. So that is a very small, cursory, not even deep, I wouldn't even say good, examination, just the beginning, scratching the surface of what his name means. Go look it up yourself. I think you'll enjoy it. There's a lot to learn. <laughs> a lot of people have done a lot of thinking of why does God call himself I am. But I want to get to the practical for us. How does one go about breaking the third commandment? Let's say you want to break the commandment. <laughs> How do you do that? How do you take the name of the Lord in vain? How does one take the name of the Lord as useless, inconsequential, worthless, or false? Well, the first one's probably not the first one you'd expect me to say, because it doesn't involve cussing. The first one is you don't recognize his son as Yahweh. If you don't recognize Jesus as Yahweh, you are taking the name of the Lord in vain, because you're saying Jesus is not as great as he is. You're saying You know, the whole deal with what the Holy Spirit reveals to us is is that Jesus is Lord. And though it's said in Greek, (laughs) it it goes back to the Hebrew, Jesus is Yahweh. If you say that Jesus is a man, but not God. If you say it respectfully, Jesus is a great man, but not God. If you say it as as the Mohammedans do and say, he is to be honored above all men except like the other prophets, because he's a prophet, but he's not the son of God, you're taking the Lord's name in vain. You say, well, I was being complimentary. No, you were being insulting. Because <laughs> you said, 
God is not God. And you broke the third commandment. Jesus was having a, a conversation with some priests. And he told them about their great ancestor Abraham. Let's jump into that conversation in John 8, 53. He says, they said to him, are you greater? Are you greater than our father Abraham? Now remember, Abraham predated him by 2,000 years about. Are you greater than Abraham? And the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Who, who do you think you are? Jesus answered, well, he, he's, he's such a humble man. He's such a good example to us, how our pride, we are so proudful, Christians. We don't even notice it. And I mean proudful in the bad way, not the good way. We don't even notice it. Even taking these insults, he says, well, it's really not about me. <laughs> he says, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. So I'm not here to brag on me, he said. But the Father, God the Father, he glorifies me. And you say about him, he's our God. But you don't know him. I know him. If I were to say that I don't know him, I'd be a liar. He said, I'm not bragging, but I can't lie to you. I do know God, the Father. If I didn't say that, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. And then he said this, your father Abraham, he rejoiced that he would see my day. This had to play with their minds. Abraham, from a couple thousand years ago, rejoiced in the past to know that he would see the day Jesus came. How would, well, that's just got to freak you out. Dude, Jesus, dude, how would you know what Abraham was rejoicing over in heaven? <laughs> that's a freaky thought. And why would he be so happy about you? Are you greater than him? We're back to the original question. You're not greater than him. He's the father of all the Jews. And then it says, he saw my day and he was glad. I've confirmed with heaven. Abraham is dancing right now that I'm here talking to you. And the priests are like, this guy is nuts. And they said to him, so they said to him, you are not 50 years old. <laughs> you haven't seen Abraham, have you? He said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, here he goes, I am. I am. There are critics who say, Jesus never claimed to be God. They, they don't read the Bible, I guess. Anyone says, I've read the Bible before, hasn't. Just test them on it. Ask them to look at the book of Hezekiah. They'll try, and it's not in there. Before Abraham was, here he's using the tense of Yahweh. Before Abraham passed, before that. So you're going older than Abraham. He doesn't say, I was. He's not like Karma, who's born again and again and again with his spirit. He doesn't say, before Abraham was, I was. He says, before Abraham was, I am. And they knew exactly what he was saying, because verse 59 shows they wanted to kill him for blasphemy. They picked up stones, but Jesus, he boogied. Jesus calls himself I am, and he knows exactly what he's saying. He's the most learned of all the rabbis around there. He knows everything. He knows what he's saying, and he's not going to blaspheme God or use that name in vain. He says the name Jesus, the name I am, same deal. The secularist today would say he's not a man. Stories were made up about him by his followers, or he is a man and nothing more. Jehovah Witnesses is a cult, by the way. Don't go to Jehovah Witnesses churches and, except to observe if you need to see what cults are like. They, they say Jehovah or Yahweh is God the Father and there is no God the Son, at least not as God. He's there, but he's just a created being. Mormons say Jesus is the Son of a God who was once a man. They say Jesus is the Son of a God who was once a man. That's what the Mormons say. Mormons are also, they'll lead you to hell. They lead no one to heaven. Though their young men look pretty sharp in their waiter outfits as they go through town. Islam, who honors Jesus as a great prophet, says God has no son. It's one of their pet sayings they like to say in Arabic is God has no son. 
So the secularists, Jehovah Witness, the Mormon, and the Islam, whenever they speak of Jesus, are breaking the third commandment. They're making the name Jesus worthless. They're making the name Jesus empty. They're depriving it of its power. They're denying that he is I am, that he is Yahweh. John 5, 23, Jesus said, I'm cutting into a sentence, but I'm really looking for the full sentence that follows. It says, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Here's the sentence. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Anyone who says that Jesus is not God cannot honor God. Well, I believe in God. I just don't believe in your Jesus. You don't know God. You don't know who he is. And you're dishonoring him. And you're bringing vanity upon his name by calling him God. And you don't know who he is. All things in heaven and earth will one day tremble under the man Jesus Christ because he is the God. The, where is the earth going? Don't say to hell in a handbasket. That isn't right. It is going to a judgment day. And I don't know if there will be handbaskets on judgment day, but perhaps that's where the angels keep the souls of the wicked. I don't know. But instead, what there will be is a chorus of all in creation that says one thing together. Jesus Christ is Yahweh. That's what we're going to say. Philippians 2, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Well, which name is above every name? Yahweh. God gave it to the man Christ Jesus because he was God Forever before he was man. Or he is God forever before he was man. <laughs> so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Yahweh to the glory of God the Father. So if you deny Jesus being Yahweh, you're breaking the third commandment. You're using that name in vain. You're emptying it of its value. God's plan for all of creation is not to take it to hell in a handbasket, but to exalt his son as Lord of all. I'm saying the same thing over and over. Denying that Jesus is God is using God's name in vain, taking away the value of Christ, and if you do that, you'll be found guilty, is what Exodus says. You will not be guiltless. You're not off the hook. Well, I didn't know I was raised in a different religion. Too bad. Too bad. I read the Quran. Too bad. You will not be found guiltless. But the opposite is also true. Salvation comes through embracing the Lordship of Christ. We are all guilty. Anyone here who says they're not guilty of ever using the Lord's name in vain, is, is well first you probably can't say it because you're a baby and you can't talk <laughs> i'd say a baby probably hasn't used the lord's name in vain but you have and so have i and if none of us are to be found guiltless then what happens to us we already know we under the judgment of god and it's very serious he's not going to let it go but instead what he does is he substitutes his most valuable son for us on the cross and he dies in our place Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. Salvation comes through knowing that Jesus is Yahweh. Just like you're not, you, you, you won't be held guiltless if you deny it, but you will be saved if you acknowledge it. Paul says, look, if you believe in your heart that God is who he says he is, I'm not, that's a paraphrase. God raised him from the dead. And you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord, that's Yahweh. You should be saved. To look at Jesus and say, not Yahweh, bad. So that's one way. That's the most important way that you should not <laughs> break the third commandment. Don't deny the godness of God. In his son, Jesus Christ. Second way, this is the one you're expecting. To mention God's name without talking to him, for him, or about him. Without talking to him, for him, or about him. 
I wish I could say I've never done this. I wish I could say I've never done it as a Christian. And not normally, I, I don't normally do it in anger, uh, like a cuss, but I will joke around sometimes and I'll use God's name. Well, I try not to. I'm not saying this is my habit, but I've done it. But if you're going to mention God and you're not talking about him in a serious way, to him or for him, you're using his name in vain. You're making it worthless. Don't use his name as a curse, period. Don't. (laughs) I told someone recently, (laughs) I thought my name sometimes was Jesus H. Christ because that's what my mom would call me when she got mad. (laughs) But she wasn't calling me that. She would just say it. And I don't know what the H is for. My mom is under the blood of Christ. She would get, she was a, when, I, when I was 33, I baptized her. First person I baptized was my mother. Awesome as a pastor. But she needed it. Boy, she used to use that name a lot. <laughs> it wasn't good. Don't do it. Don't say GD this, GD that. Now, I'm not going to be the fundamentalist cop who says, and don't say gosh, because it came from that. And don't say G Willikers, because... I say, no, say gosh. So fundamentals will get mad at me. Um, Because it shows that you respect God enough that you ain't going to veer the wrong way. If you don't like any of them, say shazam. I don't know. Say rats. Listen, can I tell you something that's humbling to me? In Islam, people, if if you meet a, a devout Muslim, he will not, or even a nominal Muslim, they will not use the name of Muhammad without a blessing. And if you know some Islamic people, you know this is true. If they say Muhammad's name, they say a blessing upon him. Muhammad bless him forever. And then they go on with their sentence. And he's not, he's, he's just a human, he's a false prophet. They don't know that. Christians should speak with much more reverence of the name of God. Third way to break it. Uh, the third commandment, is include his name in a list of gods. He doesn't go in a list of gods. The coexist bumper stickers is breaking the third commandment. I don't like them. I know the spirit behind them, and I kind of appreciate the spirit of behind the coexist bumper sticker. If you don't know what that is, you'll see it now that I've mentioned it on a car somewhere. The spirit behind it is, can't we all get along? It's the Rodney King bumper sticker. I'm for that. I want to get along with people from other religions. That's fine with me. Um, We are the people of love. We're supposed to turn the other cheek. I don't want you having to fight with me, so I have to see if I really will turn the other cheek. If you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you, and I'll tell you that you're going to go to hell if you don't worship Jesus, but hey, I'll be nice about it. But the coexist sticker, what it really is saying is all these symbols are for gods that are equal. That's not true. Interfaith worship services, I would go to an interfaith worship worth the interfaith worship service if they let me give the prayers and the message and the other people can do whatever they want to do <laughs> but you ever see interfaith worship services people want to have them let's have a thanksgiving we'll bring all the religions together in the square of the town no no when when, when i pray to god if i'm praying to the same god as the jewish god and the jew Jewish rabbi with me is not acknowledging the lordship of the Son of God. I'm more Jewish than he is. I'm not going to do an interfaith worship with that. I'm definitely not going to do it with a Muslim or a Hindu or a Unitarian or whatever weirdness is out there, Christian scientist. Because to do that is to use the name of Jesus in vain. They all use it differently. They're all devaluing it. The Masonic Lodge. No one wants... This one gets you in trouble. People lose their crap when you say this. I don't know why. Masonic Lodge defines God as the great architect of the universe. He is not that. That's not his name. They will not use Jesus as God uh, because they, they have lodges in Islamic and Hindu places and, and whatever. They really take, I think, an AA view of God. God as you understand him. I don't understand how Christians can join the Masonic Lodge to do good deeds while overlooking the fact that they have to believe in a God that is not God to do it. They have to say these, memorize these creeds and stuff. You, every time you go to a Masonic Lodge, the blue level, and just do the creed, you're breaking the third commandment. 
because your God, their God isn't Jesus. If you don't believe me, start going down there and saying, since we're serving God, we're going to call him Jesus from now on. See what happens. Any claim that anyone is equal to Jesus, Allah, Buddha, Krishna, you're breaking the third commandment. These are not equals. They don't go on a list. Jesus doesn't go on the list. You can make a list of all the famous people that are worshipped by humans and seen as spiritual leaders. Just leave Jesus off of it. <laughs> At least as a Christian. You're just breaking the commandment. He's God! He made those people! Fourth, doubt his promises or belittle the truth and power of what he says. Many Christians, I think, use the Lord's name in vain this way without realizing that we're doing it. In other words, you're in a jam. Someone says, God can help you. And you're like, God doesn't help. I don't believe that. So don't tell me about Romans 8, 28. I don't want to hear you praying for me. <laughs> That's breaking the commandment. You're saying, God's name is not powerful. There's an example of this in Malachi 3 I want to show you. And this is a bad example. Here's the bad example. Someone says, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you, Lord? And he said, you, <laughs> it is vain to serve God, is what you said. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put to the test and they escape. What he's, what, what he's saying is, here's how you've blasphemed me. You said it's a waste of time to serve God because it doesn't work. When you're in a jam, you say, what good is following God if my life is so hard when those sinners over there are happy as clams and fat and sassy? What's really being said is the name of God has no power. Why call on him? God is not as great as I'd like. God is not worth it. Christians do this. They do this. and they, We ought not ever do this. Life is hard. The Christian who says, I have a right to be angry with God is, is breaking the third commandment. You have no right to be angry with God because that means you're accusing him of wrongdoing to you. And if you have the word God in there, you've just redefined him as fallible and as mean. So you're saying, well, if I do feel angry with God, well, you can tell him. You just can't justify it. <laughs> you can say, I'm sinning against you, God, because I'm really mad at you right now. But he's not your wife. He's not your husband. He's not your boyfriend. He's not. If, you're, if my wife gets mad at me, she likely has cause. <laughs> but if she gets mad at God, I know who's right. And if I get mad at God, I know who's right. There's a contrast right after that. Here's the people that we should be like. It's right after that in Malachi. It says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. And the Lord, so they heard him say this. And some of the group, they heard God say that and said, We're not going to do that. And then it said, The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. What he's saying here is, If you determine in your life when times are tough, you're not going to ditch your God and say he's not powerful, he's not good. Then God writes a book and he puts your name in it. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. That's a distinction. <laughs> when the righteous, when they're hurting, don't curse God. Okay, finally... And this one's the one that um, may need as m a lot more processing after the sermon. I'm scratching my chin. I, did, I was doing that involuntarily. I just noticed it's probably a sign of fear, <laughs> wanting to protect myself. But here goes. Heaven hates a coward. If you misrepresent his words, if you say God said, you're on very dicey footing. Dicey footing, is that a mixed metaphor? You're on thin ice. You must, and I must, we must be very careful using the words God said or God told me. As when I was a new believer, everyone around always was saying, and then God told me I need to take this job, I need to do this, and I needed to do that. And I felt this expectation on me to start hearing God. Because everyone else knew him so well. 
He was telling them things. And so I started using that sort of language too. If I was doing something that seemed to make sense, I said, then God told me to do this. And I said, I even said, if I ask a question to God, I could close my eyes and listen. He'll give me an answer. And I had answers. How much do you love me? Wait for an answer. And I'd say, this must be God. Because I was trying to do what I thought we were all supposed to do. Hear the voice of God and figure it out and say, God said. But what was really happening... (laughs) In reality, if I was honest with myself, and I was, is I tried to do what seemed right, that I figured it was what God wanted, and I was adding the words God said to it. And then as I grew in Christ, I began, I stopped doing that, but I began to hear a lot of people say God said, and they were just wrong. And I think that's one of the things that stopped me. <laughs> Remember a young lady telling me God said so-and-so was going to marry her. And it was one of those deals where you look at that lady and you look at who she thinks is going to marry her and you go, that one God. <laughs> so I literally would take every cent I have and bet it. <laughs> that ain't going to happen. Guys would do the same. I, I, I met a family who, who left their home and job and sold everything in Alaska to go to Washington State to help minister with someone else. Who was going to give them a flag ministry and they're going to wave flags and worship? Why would you leave your home and everything, sell everything, and move to Washington State to do that? What was the answer I got? God told me to. Well, by the way, that's a trump card. God tells you, what am I going to say? (laughs) It was two decades later, maybe a little more after my mother died, I saw that couple again. And the husband still didn't want to say it out loud in front of his wife, but he says, I don't think that was God. When I went to seminary, there was a family there, and this is typical. You know, I could, there's a thousand examples like this, who's, who came to that seminary because God told them to. Great. And they moved into the trailer park that all of us students lived in, and, uh, and then a bigger trailer went for sale. And if a bigger trailer goes for sale, you want it because it had a push-out living room or an extra 10 feet. You know, that was like a mansion to us. And they said, why, why, why move it in there? God told us, that he provided that for our family. And so mid-semester, they moved into that one. And then at the end of the year, they said, we're leaving, God told us to leave. To which I asked the, the, the fellow, because I, I knew him from class, I said, I thought you said God told you this. And his words to me, I must have heard God wrong. Can I tell you something about God in the Bible? He never stutters. There's people come up with elaborate ways to test the spirits, they say. I got to tell you, I don't think it's wise to put a mic up front and have people come up and tell the elder, I think God is saying this to me. You don't know. You don't know. God doesn't stutter in the Bible. The closest we come is he was saying Samuel, and Samuel kept thinking that it was uh, Eli talking. But then God didn't stutter. He knew exactly what God said. He said, Samuel, come here. I know we all want intimacy with God. I want intimacy with God. But whenever you say the words God said and then say something, I always get this pushback. But people don't really mean he said it. I'm going to be a stickler here, but they said he said it. They said he said it. And now I know. This is why I was rubbing my chin. There's this happens all over this room and every room that's hearing me right now. Evangelicals do this. They're constantly, look, if you're struggling with a situation and you're praying about it and you're seeking counsel and you come to a point where you're at peace that you know the right decision, do it. You may say, I think God led me to this. Do that. But unless you hear a voice say, take that job with your ears, don't say God said it. Because he didn't. People say, well, you just don't believe in the Spirit. I believe in the Spirit. I believe God at any moment can say anything to any one of us. He can write on the wall. (laughs) But if it's written on the wall, we can all see it and read it. If I tell you God told me we need to paint all our church buildings purple and the Lord told me in prayer, what are you going to do about it? You can either call me a liar or disobey God. 
That's not how he talks. You have the Bible? (laughs) Mostly men who gave their lives and their blood as the ink. I'm not saying God will never say anything. I'm saying if you attach God's name to something and it's not exactly the words he said, you're taking his name in vain. Oh, there's a happy note. I know that some of you are going to have to argue with me on that. You're going to have to work through that or argue with one another. Good. Just have an open mind. With that open mind, ask the question of the Bible, how does God talk to us? And how do I hear his voice? Um, Finally, let's just remember the importance of God's name because it's the importance of God. When we gather to worship and we sing his name and we pray his name, let's not trifle. He's God. It's his presence we come, it's his name we come into. It's not a show, it's not a game. Seeing God as he is is the best thing that can ever happen to us in a worship service. Not figuring out how to undo all our problems. Just seeing him as he is. His name he values so highly. It's humbling to think about. Pray in Jesus' name. (laughs) Declare In your name we pray. Who is you? People don't know. We need to hold God up high. Including his name. It's worthy of honor. And the only name he ever... Now there are a lot of descriptions of him. Jehovah Jireh, which is Yahweh Jireh. Right? (laughs) Jehovah this, Jehovah that, Jehovah everything. But it all is based on Yahweh. He's the great I am. He's our maker. And before he made the world, he knew you. Before he made the world... He liked you. Before he made the world, he loved you. Before he made the world, he planned on saving you. And today he's with you. And his name is to be exalted. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.